a cousin's slash friend's Thanksgiving and like so we're all just like sitting around talking to stuff and, and my cousin Stephanie was like oh I listened to your podcast and it just like made my little grinchy heart grow three sizes like I was so <laughs> excited and then like my like my other cousins were like wait what are you talking about and so I got to talk about it with everyone yeah um because I'm not I don't know like I think like in the context of the entertainment world and people that do what we do mm-hmm. I'm better at talking about like promoting myself mm-hmm. um but when it comes to family members and stuff like that I don't know how to talk about the things that I get to do and the things that I'm creating and I don't know I don't know how to talk about it because in my mind I'm coming across as like braggy or annoying or desperate or like basically any negative adjective I'll assign to myself oh yeah I think I have like an interesting thing when it comes to relatives listening to the podcast because I think there's um I'm the baby of the family and there's a very much like Laura is innocent in the baby which like I haven't been like oh I'm you know like I've tried to be my authentic self, but you also monitor kind of what you say around your family members and stuff. And my family members uh, don't have the same political views that I do. uh, And they don't know the mouth that I have on me. So (laughs) I've always been, they're like, what is this historical shade? And I'm like, you can listen. I'm not like, you can't listen, but I'm like, you can listen, but just know that like, I'm, I, we, we have a political leaning that like, we don't, we don't like, bash people over the head with it but we're not again you know so I don't know if you will enjoy it they're like got it um just so for example uh what we we were playing catchphrase which if you haven't played it like there's a word that pops up and you have to say something to make everyone else get it like guess it and we got to a point where and, and everyone knows that I'm a Democrat in a family of Republicans. And so if we got to a point where I had it instead liberal, and I was like, not what you are, but what I am. And everyone went liberal. And I was like, yep, I'm past it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not like I hide it. It's just one of those like, eh. come see me in the music, man. That's, <laughs> that's where we will <laughs> make our connections is this your cup of tea is yeah. this your cup of tea are you gonna throw this tea over the side of a ship <laughs> so, that was a historical joke that i don't know anyway julie oh anyway welcome to historical shade in case you're wondering <laughs> what the hell am i in, in case you're like what have i stumbled on today yeah welcome to historical shade uh we uh this is laura and that is julie i'm pointing to her you you can't see um, and then the little chewing noises in the background is my dog Dapper. Uh, so if you also like ASMR, you're welcome. Stop. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but we, uh, I like to, we like to start this podcast off always by saying that we're not historians. We like to talk about history. Um, but uh, if we, we also know that history is written by usually the victors or the person who originally went like. I am going to write it down first. So obviously I invented it, even though it was like a tradition for hundreds of years, et cetera, and so forth. So if you want to have a correction, let us know, email us, uh, or slide into our DMs. Um, 
on Instagram. But anyway, Julie, what are you going to share with us? I'm so excited. Oh boy. Well, I'm glad you mentioned like having different political views from your family um, because (laughs) today I'm going to be talking about Elizabeth Ware Packard. And uh, one of the things that sort of came out of researching this um, is that her story is not necessarily unique. Um, She was someone that was put in a mental institution by her husband um, in the 19th century. And that that's not unique. It actually happened to a lot of women and differing political views is, is a reason someone could put you in a mental institution. Uh, So I would have been put in a mental mental institution so hard, so quickly (laughs) by, yeah. Continue. I actually, I, I have some research at the end of this about like some of the reasons people were put in mental institutions. So, I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I believe this may turn out to be our first two-parter. <gasps> dun, 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 dun. Dun. Uh, because there's just, there's just so much, there's so much to talk about. And yeah. Elizabeth Bear Packard uh, is super badass in the, in the way she dealt with things. And so uh, with that said, I'm also really excited about this one because just all of the research I did, there's so many really just great papers that people wrote and I'm going to shout them out at the beginning because I don't want people to stop listening. Um, There's Women in Madness in the 19th Century, The Effects of Oppression on Women's Mental Health by Elizabeth Raquel Sigurder. Lunacy in the 19th Century, Women's Admission to Asylums in the United States of America. Civil Commitment in the United States by Megan Testa, MD, and Sarah G. West, MD. Um, there's a website called Packed with Packards, and it's someone that is a, a, a rel- like in the lineage of the Packards and has just done so much research. Yeah. Um, I was able to look at excerpts from Elizabeth Packard and Noble Fight, but I wasn't able to look at the whole book because I do not have a Muse account. Uh, oh, is that why we were asking for a Muse account on the social Yeah. Um, <laughs> so if Muse would like to sponsor us so I can do more research, I would love that. Uh, I also got some information from Rollins.edu ah. and uh, Illinois.edu as well as uh, sciencemuseum.org.uk. So just there's there's so there's so much secondary sources but also a lot of the information here is direct quotes from Elizabeth Packard so go team primary source so Elizabeth Ware Packard was born in Massachusetts in 1816 to a religious family she became a teacher at age 16 and on May 21st 1839 she married a Calvinist minister Theophilus Packard, um, at the insistence of her parents. So they, they do end up moving. And so by 18, by June, 1816, they are in Illinois. Uh, they have, I think it's three children. We'll go back to that later. They have children. Um, (laughs) so by June, 1816, the conflict between the Packards had quite literally reached a maddening degree. Um, at one point, for Elizabeth Packard, it says that one morning at church, she'd reached her breaking point and she stood up 
in the middle of her husband's sermon and announced she was going to the Methodist church across the street. Ooh. And the, the quote that's attributed to her is to the more conservative members of Reverend Packard's church who held firm to the Calvinist bedrock of human depravity and ignorance, her beliefs were literal evidence of insanity. Um, in a 1989 article in the Yale Journal of Law and Humanities called Mrs. Packard on Dependency, Hendrik Hartog wrote, uh, that that's what he wrote that. Uh, so in response, uh, Packard arranges for a doctor to visit his wife, uh, but he doesn't want her, her to know, obviously, that it's a doctor because she'll be being diagnosed. Mm. So he has him pretend to be a sewing machine salesman. What? <laughs> so for whatever reason, Packard sort of confides in this doctor salesman and tells him about her husband's extreme religious ideas and his belief that she was a lunatic. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just interesting here because in terms of extreme religious views, like her husband was on that extreme scope. Like she, yeah. she wasn't saying, I don't believe in religion. I'm worshiping the devil. Like she wasn't an outlier in that respect. She was just yeah. like, this man's going too far. Yeah. Um, Calvinists are, are, um, yeah, they're pretty, like, they have, they have some extreme, I mean, all religions have their extreme views, but compared to, like, Methodist, which is, like, diet version of, yeah, yeah, they're, like, on the spectrum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of extremity. Yeah, like, there's, like, Catholics, and then there are diet Catholics, which are Lutherans, so, like, I'm a diet Catholic, so, like, Methodists are diet Calvinist. Anyway, continue. Religion studies majors are going to yell at me so hard, but... I've literally never heard that expression, but I love that that's the description that you used. (laughs) Uh, So the doctor sides with her husband. Mm -hmm. He diagnoses her as insane and they send her to the Illinois State Hospital for the insane in Jacksonville. His reasons include her refusal to shake his hand, and the fact that she was above the age of 40. Um, even though... What? <laughs> at, yeah. At okay. the time, Illinois law did not require proof of mental illness for a husband to put their wife away. Uh, um, and so Packard's husband, uh, his observation is that she seemed slightly insane. Like, that's the excuse he gives when he, he puts her away. Mm-hmm. obviously it's the fact that she's disagreeing with him like her, her her expression of religious beliefs is conflicting with his own doctrine so this sounds completely absurd like she didn't do anything she didn't murder anyone like nothing happened and yeah. there there's no actual diagnosis it's not like they took her to the mental institution and said hey can you look her over we're concerned they yeah. just dropped her off and were like, hey, she's insane. Can you commit her? And they were like, okay. Yeah. Oh, uh, are you her husband? Awesome. That's all. Yeah, the proof no we problem. Have. Cool. So according to Carol Smith Rosenberg, she's an author and expert in women's history in the United States. Uh, psychiatrists during the Victorian era or alienists, as they were called in the 19th century, specifically used medicine to police women's behavior. Uh, and again, it wasn't like, it was all subjective. It was like, they all had their ideas of how women ought to behave, she says. And there were general feelings of what caused abnormal behavior. 
And usually this was a refusal of traditional gender roles. Is this where like hysteria and the um, invention of the vibrator came in? Is this the same era? <laughs> yes. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, so women were also sent that's to- That's what I learned from history. <laughs> Sorry, mom. See, this is why you're not allowed to listen. <laughs> listen, while your mom's like tuning us out for a second, um, multiple mentions of masturbation in the in the list of reason women were sent to mental institutions so we'll get to that later <laughs> laura's just silent I, so, you know. <laughs> you're already in the hole with mom i know i no 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 i'm just like i would have i it just so it just makes me so i mean i knew like stuff for women sucked right like no one's going like oh women had it so easy back then but it's just like, if you, hi, Penny, um, if you had, uh, hi. I'm going to go grab her real quick. Okay. Wait, she stopped. Okay. So, but like, Cut let's, this say, out. let's say that you had a dick of a husband, right? Who's like, you know what? I really want to have sex with this other girl, but like, I don't want you to find out and be mad at me. So I'm just going to commit you. Yeah. And they could, and then have an affair and be like, okay, no, welcome back, honey. And then when you say like drug, drug women to police their behaviors, we're not talking about like modern, like antidepressants that are like nice to be like, help regulate. Da, da, da. It's probably like morphing the shit out of it. Opium. Ex yeah. They're, they're experimenting with drugs, like for funsies. Um, I mean, one of the, like, one of the things I read I don't think I talked about it in here, so we might come back to it. But one of the things I read is like one of the doctors, like his way of like treating women is like he felt like if they were too thin and frail, then that meant that they weren't able to do like womenly duties. Um, so his diagnosis involved literally just having them like lie in a bed and relax and be fed like super fatty foods so they could gain weight and be able to do household work again and be a normal woman even though they'll get like a heart attack from not ever moving. My um, great, great, great da -da -da grandmother, I had one that actually went to the insane asylum. We talked about it in our last episode, but like there's an insane asylum in Pittsburgh. Um, went there because she had a miscarriage and it just messed, like, which it does. And she just needed a minute. Like she had like seven kids and she's like, I need to not be here. Um, so that like makes sense. Those are one, it's one of those that it's like, that one makes sense, you know, but the fact that a man could just be like, uh, my wife just sucks. I don't like being a husband. So like, could you like, yeah. And, and to your point about, to, yeah, to your point about like wanting to sleep with someone else, um, women were sent to asylums as an alternative for divorce. Like they essentially became prisons for non-compliant women. Uh, and the thing is, is like, it's, it's like a vicious cycle because the conditions are also not conducive to the mental health of the occupants. So mm -hmm. often it does lead to the deterioration of, of the mental state of the people that are there. So it just like reinforces this belief of the male society that like this person is, has problems. Like it, one of the quotes is that like women who were who originally were of a completely sane state were reduced to a primal survival state oh, because it is like, how do I survive? 
Yeah. Um, wait, what, what year was this? Uh, so when she was sent, it was 1860. Okay. Okay. We can't do this shade now, but eventually I'm going to do a shade about Dorothea Dix because she was a big revolutionary when it came to mental health around this time. Continue. Yeah. So, so just to give you like a little bit more of a background, prior to the inception of American asylums, uh, people with mental illness were relegated to prisons and shelters for the poor. Mm -hmm. And so in these settings, the mentally ill were essentially warehoused to ensure the safety of the community. Mm -hmm. um, they were not offered any treatment of any kind. It mm -hmm. was just like, it was less about, it was not at all about like their safety and their health. It was just separate them from the society. Mm -hmm. So between 1817 and 1824, Four privately funded asylums were established in the northeastern states of Connecticut, New York, Massachusetts, and Pennsylvania. That's what I, I know. <laughs> we did it. What? Yay! Uh, subsequently, public asylums were opened in the southern United States, and the widespread establishment of like state-run mental institutions mm -hmm. still followed, soon followed. So up until the 19th century, the perception of the patients in these institutions and asylums were criminals and idiots. Um, asylums were like all but places of horror film, filled with the criminally insane. And I will say also uh, anyone with mental disabilities. Yeah, so basically like when you go to a haunted house and it's in a mental institution and it's always like the murderous people, that's like prior to the 19th century. Mm -hmm. So with the reforms of the 19th century though, this changed and the mentally ill were seen as sick humans needing care instead. Mm -hmm. So with this progress, the public's perception began to change as well. Um, there's a great book called The, the Female Malady. Did I say mm -hmm. that right? Okay. Yeah. Sometimes I start to question myself. Uh, so around that time, so the image, like this like popular image of like this like just bestial madman that of the 18th century that's like going to just like murder you it shifts and now it's the less threatening but troubled mad woman mm -hmm. and <laughs> it's interesting because it's it's not a coincidence this shift because the other thing that's happening is there's a shift in what people are being diagnosed for mm -hmm. uh so hysteria anorexia nervosa neurasthenia all of these are like exclusively attributed to women during this time mm -hmm. and sort of not and and these diagnoses diagnoses uh they're not created equal um mm -hmm. so nervosa anorexia is seen as self-sacrificing but hysteria is seen as like selfish and destructive and like a rebellion oh my gosh sorry i'm so angry and it's so funny because we went it's not funny but we did the witch hunts you know we talked about those and it's interesting that it's like okay we're not going to burn anyone anymore but we're still going to punish women for having views and mm -hmm. um being human and having like and being upset about things like we're still going to punish them for that yeah um so while while she's in this mental institution like 
all of our personal items are taken away. They're not supposed to have anything. Um, luckily for us and probably for Elizabeth and her sanity, uh, one of the doctors is like sneaking in paper and, and things so that she can like write about her experiences. So we have a lot of, um, she actually released some books and pamphlets herself later, but so we have a lot of like information from her about her experience. Mm-hmm. That's so, awesome. yeah. So one of the things she wrote is I regarded the principle of religious tolerance as the vital principle in which our government was based. And in my ignorance, supposed the right was protected to all American citizens, even to the wives of clergymen. But alas, mm-hmm. my own sad experience has taught me the danger of believing a lie on so vital a question. The result was I was legally kidnapped and imprisoned for three years simply for uttering these opinions under these circumstances. So she was in this mental institution for three years. All because her husband was like, she's slightly insane. She didn't shake that man's hand. She's over 40. She disagreed with me. There's a problem here. Three years. Yep. And like, okay, just continue. Because my mind is, <laughs> I would love to comment, but my only comment is like, Whoa! So the only reason she's released is um, her oldest, like her children were advocating for her release and her, her oldest children were able to get her released. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's released with a letter from the insane asylum saying she's incurably insane. <laughs> uh, and the other thing is when she is released, Uh, So when patients are released from the asylum, they find that they've lost many of their civil rights. Like all Mm -hmm. of their property has been seized. If they have children, they have no custody rights. Mm -hmm. So here's the crazy thing that happens is she's released and her husband locks her in the nursery of their home and nails the windows shut. So... What the fuck? Apparently, it was perfect, like it had been perfectly legal for him to commit her to an insane asylum for three years, but it was not legal for him to confine her in her own home. Oh, thank goodness. Thank you, laws of America. Good good for you. So basically what (laughs) she has to do, because also like, they're not like, oh, Elizabeth's home, come to the housewarming and welcome her back. Like they just, they bring her to the house and he like nails everything shut and locks her in. Yeah. So she ends up like writing, like writing a note or a letter describing her predicament and like shoving it out the nailed shut window. Um, Hoping that someone gets it. Yeah. That is her husband. Right. So luckily like a, a, a friend of hers, um, then takes it to the judge who in this case is judge Charles Starr and they appealed to him on the issue. So pause. Did he feed her or was he just hoping to like starve her out? He, he basically like decided that like he, he was going to commit her to his like own personal insane asylum. Like essentially like he wasn't trying to murder her. Yeah. Yeah. Like he wasn't murdering her. Like he was like, no, I'll take care of her. She's slightly insane in my personal observation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm just being a good husband. Ugh. 
so Judge Starr issues a writ of habeas corpus, and it requires Reverend Packard to bring his wife to his chambers on January 12th, 1864. Uh, so Reverend Packard's like, I mean, that's cool. I have this little written statement of incurable insanity from the Illinois State Asylum. So like he, so he tells the judge that he's uh, allowing her, quote, all the liberty compatible with her welfare and safety. A room, one room. What is Dabber doing? Yeah, I'm gonna hold on. <laughs> <laughs> All, right, All right, ready, ladies and gentlemen. My dog was trying to dig a hole in his doggy bed. I don't know. Oh, Penny does that. She tries to bury things. Yeah, it's like it's a piece of fabric. You silly puppy. She Over also like likes to scrunch things up. So like, yes. there's like a underneath hill under her when she sleeps. It's weird. Yeah. Dogs, uh, man. Dogs. Speaking of weird, putting your wife away for insanity, am I right? Speaking of dogs, what? Packard. <laughs> that might be the best segue we've ever had. <laughs> uh, so luckily, Judge Starr does not find this to be sufficient justification. Um, so he schedules a jury trial to address the issue and determine Elizabeth Packard's sanity. That are all men. So you, you want to be like, yeah, Judge Starr, but you're also like, but why are you scheduling a jury trial? Like, just yeah. acknowledge this is bullshit. Anyway. Of men. <sighs> so you're like, yay, Packard, <laughs> talk your wife away. Ooh, I just accidentally hit the microphone. Hope that didn't make a noise. Uh, so, so he schedules this jury trial. And Reverend Packard, the plaintiff in the case... Mm -hmm. the plaintiff like he's not even the defendant uh he claims his wife's insanity entitles him to confine her at home and elizabeth packard the defendant needs to prove her sanity to regain her freedom how how do you prove you're sane like like truly truly i'm sure the 18th century really like they know well, like, thank God they don't have social media in the 18th century because <laughs> on Facebook, everyone's insane. Yeah. Like, this is a tangent, but it's, it really is incredible to me how someone can like post the most innocent thing and it inevitably spirals. Mm -hmm. that's, that's my soapbox for today. It was a very tiny one. I'm very proud. I know, because I was like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to be, I don't want people to think I'm insane because I'm going on a tangent about people being insane on social media. But it makes me insane. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of insane. Mike, uh, look her up. <laughs> <laughs> so the judge and jury, they hear testimonies for each side of the case. Physicians who had spoken with Elizabeth prior to her commitment testified against her. And, uh, one of those, uh, one of those was Dr. J.W. Brown, the sewing machine salesman. Uh, he had testified that she disliked to be called insane, and he found that her feelings toward her husband and religious beliefs to be evidence of her insanity. Wait, she didn't like being called insane and was therefore insane? Yeah. Got it. <laughs> The reverend's sister and brother-in-law also testified 
that Packard tried to distance herself from her husband and the church, both of which they deemed an indication of her insanity. So it's like, it's just like, um, what is that? Th the thing where it's like the, the snake is like eating its own tail or whatever, where it's like, you're insane because you're insane. Yeah. Is what they're saying. Like, it's just, yeah. it's absurd. Uh, so Elizabeth Tack, Packard's lawyer, they call neighbors and friends to testify on her behalf. Mm -hmm. She was permitted to read an essay that she had written for a Bible class to share insight on her religious beliefs. And Dr. Duncanson, a doctor and theologian, also testified for her sanity. Okay. Um, he had spent hours talking with Packard and he disagreed with Dr. Brown's statement about her religious beliefs. He shared that many of her ideas um, were embraced in, here we go, Sweden Borgianism. Okay. Which I'm, I forgot to look up. So we're looking it up real quickly. It's the name for several historically related Christian denominations developed as a new Christian group or a new religious group influenced by the writing of scientist and Swedish Lutheran theologian, Emanuel Swedenborg. Yeah, Lutherans coming up. Um, yeah, so basically it's the new church. <laughs> Yeah. So, so she wasn't being like anti-religious. She was just not being Calvinist. And so yeah. therefore in the eyes of the insane. Calvinist minister, insane. So uh, he argued, oh my, why did I look it up? The next line helped me. Dr. Dickinson argued that many <laughs> intellectuals and theologians in Europe favored these new school documents. And he went on to inscribe, uh, describe his impressions from his conversation with Packard. He said, on every topic I introduced, she was perfectly familiar and discussed them with an intelligence that at once showed me she was possessed of a good education and a strong and vigorous mind. I did not agree with her sentiment in, on many things, but I do not call people insane because they differ from me, nor even a majority even of people. Oh my gosh. Quote that, put it on a shirt. Right? Like wildfire. I do ah. not call people insane because they differ from me. Ugh. Um, my question is, before I figure out, before we learn the rule, the verdict. The verdict <laughs> is if the jury is all Calvinist, if it's Methodist, it, like what, because I feel like what the jury is, is going to influence the ruling. In the yeah. Verdict. You know what? They didn't, they didn't talk about what the makeup of the jury was. Uh, but I will say that the, so the jury reached the verdict, uh, on January 18th, 1864, they reached a verdict in seven minutes and they said, we, the undersigned jurors in the case of Mrs. Elizabeth P.W. Packard alleged to be insane, having heard the evidence are satisfied that she is Julie. sane. <laughs> Oh, fuck. I was like, if you say insane, I'm done. I'm closing my laptop. <laughs> well, we talked about this maybe being a, we talked about this being a two-parter. So yeah. I'm giving you break points. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. She is, no, everyone would murder us if that was where we left it. <laughs> Wait till Speaking next week. Yes. Days at 8 a.m. <laughs> Speaking of which, this should probably be the end of this first one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Let's do All it. All right. We're going to give you that she's sane. But the, the story isn't over. And so now I'm scared. Because what's going to happen next?
find out next week. Thanks, Julie. <laughs>